I walked out to the hill just now. It's exalting, delicious, to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze and glory and give oneself again to God. What more can a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I I care not if I never raise my voice again for Him, if only I may love Him, please Him. Perhaps in mercy He shall give me a host of converts that I that I may lead through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies, who's his, who his fingers in set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, touch his garments and smile into his eyes, ah, then not stars nor converts shall matter, only himself. O oh, Jesus, master and center and end of all, How long before that glory is yours which has so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men. Then there will be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown. Subdue your kingdom. Enthrall your creatures. Have you ever read something, listened to somebody, and, and just thought, that, that guy knows Jesus better than I do? Jesus is, I think, is so much more real to him than, than me. Man, I, I tell you what, I've had that feeling quite a few times over the years whenever I read something by Jim Elliott. That's whose words I just read. He wrote those words... Early in the morning, January 8th, 1956, just hours before he was murdered, murdered by the very people he had gone to share the gospel with. And if you know anything about Jim Elliott, you know there's not a thing about that day that he would change. I've always been a, a little bit intrigued by, by Jim Elliott's life. I, I think he is um, peculiar. <laughs> he, he, he's a strange individual. Not a weird strange. Not like I don't want to be near him or around him strange. Just very, very different from us. Even good church-going people. I think his idea of of loving Christ, following after Jesus was was so strong, was so great, and and he had little time else for anything that that got in the way of, of knowing and loving Jesus. I think sometimes even his girlfriend fell into that category. The good news is Elizabeth thought about the same way he did. It's kind of it's it's almost Humorous to read, I guess, what you would call love letters back and forth between them as they weigh constantly whether their relationship is furthering the cause of Christ in their own lives and and in the world around them. And it, it seems like about half the time they're leaning toward, I don't think so much so. It doesn't read very romantically. They had just a, uh, a very 
high view of what it meant to love Jesus and follow him. It's kind of a twist of plot that they end up getting married. You know, why I say he's a bit peculiar, I, I, I think he just was, maybe we would say he was just very over the top. And you know, sometimes religious people that are over the top can be so, so zealous that, again, nobody's comfortable around them, but it's not in a good way, Right? I mean, they, they, they can become fanatics. They, they can become weird. We, we tend to want nothing to do with them. I wouldn't say Jim was like that. He wasn't like a person you didn't want to be around. You didn't think of him as some kind of right-wing terrorist. But boy, you, you looked at him, and I think the average person around him felt that Jesus is very much more real for him than maybe me. There, there was just nothing in Jim's life that was more important to him than knowing Christ. Now, I think maybe here's the difference between us and, 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 and Jim, because I would imagine right now a lot of us here, we'd, we'd want to say the same thing about ourselves, right? That there's, there's nothing more important to me than Christ. There's nothing bigger. There, there's nothing better. I think maybe where Jim was a little different is that for Jim, there was no second or third place either. See, I think if we're honest, a lot of us, man, I want Christ's number one spot in my life, but boy, number two and three are always right there nipping at the heels, right? Jesus is number one, now he's number three. Jesus is number one, oh, he's slipped into number two. And this is kind of a daily battle for us. However he did it for Jim, I don't think it was ever a daily battle. Jesus was number one, and there was no two and three. He, he grew up in uh, Portland, Oregon, and uh, went to church, and, and uh, was always very intrigued by the, the stories of missionaries. Very intrigued by the idea of these people in, in faraway lands that, that needed to hear the gospel. It, 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 it saddened him that people had not heard of Christ. And when I say that, I mean, like, literally he felt and experienced the emotion of sadness that somebody had never had a chance to meet Jesus. Well, no real surprise that at a pretty early age in life, he he decides he's going to become a missionary. And so when he graduates from high school and, and, and heads to college, goes to Wheaton College and graduates from there in, in 1949. And that, that summer following graduation, he, he was introduced to a, a people group that had no contact with the gospel, no contact with the outside world. It was a, an Indian tribe in the, in the uh, jungle of Ecuador. A very remote tribe, no contact with civilization at all. And because of that, any kind of contact that came close to happening was usually met very brutally. So it was just this small tribe out in the jungles. But, but Jim and, and some friends decided, man, that's, that's who we're going after for Jesus Christ. And they began preparing in ministry and a variety of other things for that. And, and about three years later, 1952, they, they left and they, they moved to Quito, the five of them, Quito, Ecuador. And uh, man, the Lord really blessed and that there was somebody that had, had grown up in that tribe, lived in that tribe, but had come out of it 
and, and was living in Quito. And, and so they got to meet him and not only learn the language, but the particular dialect of that tribe and their customs and kind of don't do this and, you know, try this. And they just got to, to learn a lot. And, and they didn't go running out there haphazardly. They spent three years. They spent three years planning, praying, preparing for how they carry the gospel to this tribe. In the fall of 1955, they decide it's, it, it's, it's time. Let's, let's do this. And uh, you couldn't see, they, they would fly over, you couldn't see the, the tribe or the village from the air because of the jungle canopy, but they, they knew where it was, and right near there, there was a, a river, and it had a big wide open area, and so they, they began regularly flying over that, and they would drop gifts. I, I don't know what they dropped. I imagine that person told them, hey, this is what they'll respond to, this is what they would like, and, and uh, so they start dropping gifts, and, and the gifts are picked up. They fly over again, they drop more gifts, and they're, they're picked up again. And uh, pretty soon it appears that gifts have been left out for them. And so they land and they pick them up. And this goes on for like three months. I mean, they're going very gently into this situation, just trying to build a rapport, a, a, a trust. Well, on January 6, 1956, they decide, man, it's time for a contact. It's it face-to-face. And so they land, and they, they landed in the place where they dropped the gifts and the time of day that they, they always did that, and they, and they just waited. And, and out, of, out of the jungle came this tribe. And, and that first contact was just beyond their imagination. It, it couldn't have gone any better. I mean, they even, they even got some of these tribesmen, took them up in the plane. Can you imagine that? These people have never seen anything outside of their little spot in the jungle. And now they're up flying, flying around. And the next day, again, a very positive interaction. And so now they're saying, okay, let's, you know, let's pitch camp. <laughs> Let, let's stay here and, and let's begin building and adding on each day to, to this relationship. So they woke up early that morning there on the river, January 8th. Jim had already gotten away to be alone with the Lord and pray and journal and wrote those words that I just read to you. And about the same time, the, the Aka Indians came out of the, the jungle and they speared and killed all five of them. It was actually, at that time, I, I don't know what kind of dent that would make today. At that time, that was world news. Every network carried it. The, the European networks carried it. Major news magazines carried it. They were all talking about, about this story. But you know, when I, when I try to think about the work and the effort that they went to, knowing that they're doing God's will, they're doing God's work, and, and then that happens. Lord, where, what's going on there, God? Why didn't you protect them? Why, why did it, it turn out that? I mean, they're there to share the gospel, and they don't even get the name Jesus out. And yet, as I said a moment ago, I, if you know anything about Jim Elliott's life, he wouldn't change anything about that day and how it unfolded. You know, the, the Aka tribe today is mostly Christian. You know who did ultimately get to share the gospel 
with that tribe? The five widows. The five widows went back. You know, we've talked a lot as we've studied First and Second Peter about identifying with the Lord and, and being ready and willing to suffer. But I, I think of those, those five widows going back, and that's beyond suffering. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, now we're going to go do this, and boy, it could be difficult, and we're going to be living in the jungle. That won't be any fun. This is going to be hard. This is going to be you know, difficult to live with and to do, but, but Jesus is worth it. But they're not going into suffering. Based on what happened to their five husbands, wouldn't we say they're almost going into the certainty of their own death? Why would they? I mean, it's just, it's almost hard not to say that's just stupid. Why would you do that? And they would answer, because Jesus is worthy of being lived for. And Jesus is worthy of being shared. No matter what it costs. I want to read our passage this morning. If you want to turn there, 1 Peter 3.13. I want to read our passage this morning. And uh, as little as I've introduced you to the life of Jim Elliott, uh, a little bit his wife Elizabeth Elliott, as little as... I've introduced you about them. I want you to try and hear these words through their ears. How did they hear these words? How did they understand them? What do you think it meant to them when they heard this? 1 Peter 3.13 Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for, what is do, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants. Why would God want that? Than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners To bring you safely home to God. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus is going to carry me safely home to God. Not my track record. Not my good deeds. Not that I was a little better than I was bad. No, what's going to carry me safely to God, what's going to carry me safely to heaven is Jesus He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. 
Not, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what baptism is? It's a response to God. Are you thinking today about why you do that, why you don't do that, oh, I don't need to do that? It's a response to God for what he's done in your life through the power of the resurrection. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. I have to have the exact same attitude that Jesus had when he entered this world so that you could be safely carried home to God. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Just a little byproduct. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ. I wonder if that's what Jim thought when he took his last breath. I'm a partner with my Savior. Jesus Christ. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. We've heard that a couple of times now in this letter, haven't we? If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. 
For the time of judgment has come and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what a terrible fate awaits those who've never obeyed God's good news. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in the Bible, then you can ignore that last statement. If you think you might believe in God, if you think there might be something to this book, then that last statement ought to be the one statement that guides every day you live on this planet until you obey the good news. What terrible fate awaits those who've never obeyed God's good news. And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. If Jesus is everything to you, you can't even make a list of things that are important to you, things that you want to happen, things that you desire. Your list is made up of one word, Jesus. If Jesus is absolutely everything to you, then what I just read makes sense. If Jesus is everything, then I believe that the the two letters from the Apostle Peter read as an absolutely powerful and very practical manual on how to live in a culture, how to live in a world that rejects your Savior and the Bible He gave you. But, But if Jesus is not everything... I'm not saying if you don't believe in Jesus, if you hate Jesus, I'm saying if he's not everything, if there's things constantly competing for your attention and desire and love, then I think very little of what I just read makes sense. Very little of what we just heard there is something we're going to be able to attain to. I, I tell you a little bit of the story today, a precious little bit of the story today of, of Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot. Just as an illustration, there really are people for whom Jesus is everything. Nothing more they desire, nothing more they want. And do you know why they can give everything? Do you know why they can endure anything? Because heaven holds everything they value. The earth holds nothing that they have to protect. Nothing that they have to hold on to tightly. Nothing that they have to chase after. Heaven holds everything. I don't know about y'all, when I look at his life, I look at how he lived. I'm challenged in my own faithfulness unto the Lord. And I realize that, you know, when I'm struggling with faithfulness, 
I'm being tempted to be more faithful to other things. All that is, when, when you, when I, when we struggle with being faithful, whatever form that looks like, all that is is just a, a little warning light going off on the dashboard of our life. There are things more important to you than Jesus. And we heard that phrase again, didn't we? On the day that his glory is revealed to all the world. You remember how we started this whole series? That day's real. That day's coming. And on that day, we will fully and finally realize there is nothing of value. There is no second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place to Jesus Christ. So when we're struggling with being faithful to God and everything that that looks like. We need to stop and recognize, Lord, there's clearly things in my life that are more important to me than you. And that's not ever going to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you again, it, it, it's, it's my belief that we're a room filled with people here out at Midlothian, Lord. We, we want Jesus to be number one in our lives. We, we want him to be the great priority, our great love, our great passion. And yet, Lord, we can launch into so many days and give no thought to him at all. We can launch into so many decisions and give no thought to him at all. There are no doubt for most of us in here, many places we didn't really want to be identified as having belonged to Christ because of what it might look like or mean in that moment. We didn't want to suffer. We didn't want to be rejected. We wanted to look normal. God, would you forgive us that we want to look normal in a godless, sinful world? Lord, I I pray for each of us as we walk through the rest of this day, the rest of this summer, I would pray for each of us an opportunity to think about what it is we're living for, why we're living for it, what it is we expect to get from that and in many cases it's more than one thing lord help us to to recognize what we're valuing and how we sort through all that to to genuinely and clearly see jesus as the great value of heaven and earth the great value of all eternity lord i pray as we come out of this summer I would pray for each and every one of us. I, I, I don't know where you'll meet us. I don't know what it'll mean. I don't, I don't know what will be happening that, that we take the time to clarify and work through this. But God, as we come through this summer, I would pray for every one of us. Just a giant step forward. And there being no greater value, no greater worth than you.
Lord, I thank you for the life of Jim Elliott. I thank you for people you've placed in our lives that show us you, what it looks like and how worthy you really are to be lived for. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.